Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, my name is Bryant Lee Pastor here. I'm so glad you're with us in the house. Um, those who are joining us online, unfiltered radio all over the state, uh, podcast, watching. So just everybody who's joining us right now, I love it. Um, and so excited about those baptisms. I'm not make, make you clap again, but um, those things I think are some of the most important things we do as a church, to just to constantly celebrate what God is doing and be able to get just tangible reminders of that. Um, it's why we do what we do. It's why we're a church for the city. And I just want to uh, remind Remind you about one thing, and we're going to mention it at more length at the end, and that is we are three weeks away from Easter, which is crazy. Um, so at the end of this service, uh, you're going to get invite cards. We have a huge spring fling, which is a massive family event um, that's happening this Saturday, uh, right before the Sunday of Easter. Uh, we've got a bunch of services. And here's the thing I just want to remind you about if you are a part of our church. We are a church for the city. And we make um, no bones about that. We're very clear. Our goal and mission is to tear away every unnecessary barrier for people to find life and freedom in Jesus. And one of the things that we forget a lot of times is the main thing that God is going to do to grow your own faith journey is to make your faith journey not about you. And so I just want to encourage you to get 30 seconds of courage over the next um, three weeks to grab one of these invite cards and just invite somebody that maybe will experience church in a different way than they've ever experienced it before and consequently Jesus. And we've said this so many times, but in many cases, somebody's journey of beginning to follow Jesus and a relationship with Jesus begins with a relationship with one of his followers. So let's go. I just want to remind you as a church, it's what we do. We are not about us. We're a church that's creating an alternative church as usual for the city. And so this is an incredible opportunity to open the door. And here's the thing. A lot of times they will come. But the other thing that happens is it opens up doors to deepening relationship and conversation with you um, as you're trying to be salt and light in our city and our neighborhood. So um, grab one of these as you go out, begin to pray about, think about this Easter um, that I'm super excited about, can't wait. And this, here's just a little teaser. If, if there is anybody that you know that's struggling with any form of doubt or maybe walked away or deconstructed their faith, uh, what I'm gonna talk about on Easter is for them. And so, um, can't wait for whatever the date of Easter is, three, just three weeks from now. Um, so uh, today we're starting a brand new series called Runaway. And here's my question for you. And this three-week series is going to lead us up to Easter. Um, as a kid, because I don't want to get into any like, deep psychological baggage uh, today that's going to require counseling. So I'm not talking about as an older person, but as a kid, um, how many of you had at least one incident where you ran away from home? Like in air quotes, ran away from home. 
Like, like as, a, as a young kid, okay, like a lot of us. Like there's that moment where your parent, your mom, your dad, your relative, whoever's raising you, grandparent ticks you off. And, and out, really it's out of proving a point uh, that somehow that's gonna show them or you're gonna get them back. So for me, um, I was six years old the first time I remember this. And my mom like just ticked me off in a huge way. I don't remember how. I don't know if you knew my mom, like how that was even possible. I don't know. Um, so my mom ticked me off. And so I just decided I'm going to show her. And so for some reason, even at six years old, I was plotting and kind of scheming and conniving. And so I wrote a, a runaway letter, like my version. And I put it on my pillow in order to like, this will get her, this will teach her, like, don't mess with me, you know, as a six-year-old. And then um, I walked out of the house and began to walk down the street. And by the way, I'm six. Uh, which at that point in time, like I'm not that old, I don't feel that old, but like a six-year-old could actually go to a neighbor's house. Six-year-old can't even go outside anymore, but like at that time, like you could. So I walked down the street and I'll never forget getting to the stop sign at the very end of the street and then the panic setting in of I have nowhere to go from here. Like I never thought it through beyond the stop sign because I knew like this house, the two houses here, the friend that I played with, and I had no idea what was beyond the stop sign or where I would go from that point. I had my backpack with like a transformer and a hat in it because that's all I thought I needed. And so then I was like, what am I going to do next? So I just went back home, climbed under the bed so that I could just, just the sheer delight of the terror in my mom's voice once she read the letter. And then this moment ticked me off so much. So my mom finally walks in after what seemed like an eternity, read my you know, little runaway letter to get back at her on my bed, and then just started hysterically laughing. <laughs> and she's like, Brian, get out, out from under the bed. And it, like, it, just, it ticked me off so much. And here's the thing, like as six-year-old, like runaway you, we always think about what we're running from and we never give any thought um, to what we're running to. And what's really interesting is I don't think that dynamic changes a lot into adulthood. Like I still think we run from stuff and a lot of times based on what's going on in the moment or what we're experiencing emotionally, we'll run from something with really no idea of what we're running to. And I don't want to make too big a leap, but I, I think this is accurate is we do that in relationship with God a lot of times. And we don't like run physically a lot of times, but there's, here's how I would kind of frame this is we run in the sense of we haven't maybe abandoned God altogether, but there is that one thing that we know we're getting that nudge or push to do. And it's just for some reason off limits where it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And in some ways it's, it's running or, or it's the kind of the, the idea of we just get to a place where maybe we feel like God hasn't come through or God hasn't done what we thought. Or here's another big one. At some point along the way, like our behavior doesn't match up with like the Sunday school version of God that we grew up with. And so we just decide to, to act like there is no God. And for some of us, it's for intellectual reasons, but for a lot of us, it's not. We just decide because our behavior doesn't match our theology, we'll just get rid of our theology. And then we'll, we'll decide there is no God and then find intellectual reasons to support it. But if we were really honest, really, it's not the belief that's the issue, it's the implications of that belief. And in a sense, we're, we're kind of running from God, and some of us have had those moments, maybe you're in one of those moments right now, or, or it's that thing where you just get to a place where you're so frustrated 
And out of this desire to like prove my autonomy or do my thing or feeling like God's holding out on me, all of a sudden we just make decisions where like, I'm just gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna get married anyway. I'm gonna walk out on them. I'm gonna sign the papers. Like I've had it, I'm fed up. God's not doing anything lately. So I'm just gonna enter into the partnership anyway, even though it feels like it's a train wreck or we move into some like self-medicating addictive behavior. And it's all out of this weird desire of like, I'm gonna show God. And we end up showing God by making decisions that, that in some ways like undermine and sabotage our future. Or maybe in other circumstances, our running from God is, is just kind of this one area where it's like, I know this is what I need to do, but I've made it off limits. And it's just a hard no of like, God, I'm not gonna do that. In a lot of cases, it's not that we don't pray anymore. It's not that we don't talk to God. I mean, some of you are still in that place, but it's kind of like, God, I want you to get involved in this area, but it's a pretty narrow focus. And I would really love for you to stay out of the rest of my life. And here's the thing. I I think this is true. I think we all run for basically the same reasons. And specifically in relationship or the context of relationship with God, and you may not be there yet, so just you can kind of listen in, but in relationship with God, we run a lot of times because there is so much uncomfortability around accountability. And, and at the end of the day, there's just a lot of struggle at certain moments and seasons in our life of thinking that maybe God's holding out on us, or maybe we're missing out. And maybe if I do this or decide that I'm gonna say yes to God in this, or I'm gonna keep being faithful even when it seems like God's not doing anything for me, that somehow God's gonna hold out and somehow I'm gonna miss out. Like that was the problem all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Like the issue was maybe God's holding out on me and so I'm going to make my own decisions about what's good and what's gonna fulfill and what's ultimately gonna give pleasure. And we still struggle with that. I mean, there's still seasons. And honestly, I don't care how far along you think you are in your journey with Jesus. There are moments and crossroads where you think, is it worth it? Like, should I? I I mean, this is such a dumb example, but it's the thing that popped into my head again. And I shared this in our January series. So if you weren't here, I'll just share it one more time. And this is gonna sound so shallow of me, but just keep in mind, I was like 22. Um, But I remember when God was like really pressing me to start a church and ultimately this is what he wanted me to do. And honestly, I ran for several years. I ran into a completely different undergrad and got into business and did a bunch of stuff all the while knowing that God was leading me a completely different direction. And I just didn't really wanna do it. And if I were to be really honest and really transparent, because I felt like I would miss out on stuff and I just wasn't sure that I was fully on board with that. And one of the big things among many, and it's so stupid, was I remember that struggle when I finally kind of submitted and surrendered to God. And my thought was, I was still single at the time. If I say yes to this and yes to being a pastor, it is gonna narrow the pool of girls that I can date in such a massive way that I don't know if it is worth it. Like, I don't know if taking up my cross and following Jesus in that way is ultimately what I want for the rest of my life because I'm going to end up as a pastor. I've told you this before with this Christian school teacher that makes her own ankle length jean skirts, wearing Crocs, polo shirts, hair in a bun, never wears makeup. And I'm like, I don't know if I can follow Jesus into that. And I did marry a Christian school teacher, but looked nothing like that. So um, like, but it was a legitimate, like, it was this legitimate thing of like, is God going to hold out on me? Am I, I going to miss out on something? The other thing I think is to quote Philip Yancey, sometimes, sometimes we confuse life with God. And so the other reason a lot of times we walk away is because of what we're experiencing in life and what we're trying to connect the dots to and figure out and understand God and why hasn't he and why hasn't he answered. And we just start to confuse our life experience with who God is. 
And it's easy to walk away. And here's the thing. When you walk away, there's always this feeling of like, I'm probably going to be smarter. I'm probably unique. It's going to work out for me. And a lot of times instead, like it's leading us in a direction that ultimately we're running from the very thing that we're actually after. So for the next three weeks, I want to look at the most infamous runner in all of history from a scriptural perspective, this guy by the name of Jonah. And honestly, like Jonah, this is an ancient story. This is you know, 2,700 years ago, 750 years before Jesus, his story really is our story. Now, real quick, because we talked to a lot of skeptics, a ton of skeptics, people seeking, listen on radio. So I just always want to acknowledge you, and I'm so grateful you're leaning in. You don't have to believe what we believe. And if right when I get to this story, you're like, if you really believe this is legit, I'm out. I thought you were smart, but that's ridiculous. I know how this story goes down, and you're a moron. So I get all, I understand all of that. So let me just give you a couple things, and you don't have to believe it, but this is what I want you to think about. One of the things that's interesting about this ancient writing is it's not written like fairy tale or fable, um, or anything like that, because fairy tales are not rooted to addresses and dates. And so one of the things about this, it's rooted in a real place in Assyria called Nineveh at a specific time in history, 750 BC. And all of that stuff is verifiable. Like you can check it out. You can fact check it. So I think that's one interesting thing. It just reads different than fairy tale or fable. And then the second thing is, and I say this a lot, but I just want to say it again. This is, this is our apologetic. Apologetic means kind of defense of the truth is that Jesus referenced Jonah. And I tell you all the time that the core of our faith is Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus. And so in, I think, Luke 11, Matthew 12, Jesus referenced Jonah. And what did Jesus do? Came to planet Earth, lived perfect life we couldn't live, died on the cross. That's historically verifiable. Very few people doubt that any longer. And then I think overwhelming historical evidence that he rose from the dead. I've said this so many times, when a guy predicts his own death and resurrection and somehow accomplishes that, you believe whatever that guy says. And so he referenced Jonah. I'm like, I don't know, but you rose from the dead. So I'm going to take it seriously. So that's the other reason. And then, and then there's just one more. I bet if you ask this guy right here, I bet he might believe it. So this, uh, this guy in 2021, I'm not, la- this, he ended up fine. So if I laugh through part of the story, it's not insensitive. He's good. You can see him there. He's looking really healthy. So um, this guy, Michael Crabb, <laughs> near Cape, I love this story, uh, near Cape Cod uh, in 2021 was swallowed by a humpback whale. And then you can go check this out later. It's all like national media. I, I got the specific story from like the Cape Cod News, which is a local paper. Um, but this guy um, it was for years a diver, a lobster diver. And in 2021, this was his story as he recounted it. Um, and this is in the Cape Cod News. He said, all of a sudden, I felt this huge shove. And the next thing I knew, it was completely black. And I could sense I was moving I could feel the whale squeezing the muscles in his mouth, which is terrifying. And then I was completely inside. He's talking about this humpback whale. It was completely black, Packard said. And I thought to myself, done, I'm dead, which is exactly what you would think when you're swallowed by a whale. (laughs) And then he's like, I saw light. (laughs) and he started throwing his head side to side, and the next thing I knew, I was outside in the water. So the humpback whale swallowed this guy, threw him up (laughs) on dry land, similar to another story. 
And here's the, okay, there's one, one more thing about this story. This is so interesting. And I don't know if this makes you want, you, like if you'd want to be friends with this guy or this makes you just want to stay away from this guy. He also survived a plane crash. So he's the only guy to be swallowed by a whale probably since Jonah and he survived a plane crash. So anyway, so my point is, like it's possible. It, like it's possible. And if, there's, if you have any idea of like maybe there's a creator God and he creates human beings and we can figure out a way to live underwater for months at a time, like maybe, like maybe he could do this. Maybe he could manufacture something. So that, that's my, here's why I believe the craziness of the story. But regardless, if you just can't go with me there for the next three weeks, here's what I wanna encourage you on. Here's your out as you're trying to figure all this out. You've watched movies or fairy tales that were untrue at certain times and they inspired you to do something true, didn't they? So if you just can't go there, I don't want you to miss the next three weeks. So I just want you to treat it like that movie or fairy tale or book or novel that you knew wasn't true and yet somehow it inspired you to do something true because something may happen over the next three weeks that you are not expecting. So don't get sidetracked by the big whale that eats a human being. So here's the backstory real quick. Um, Jonah was a guy that um, was basically a prophet of God. And the, a prophet of God in this historic time frame was basically sent as a messenger to preach on behalf of God and to call people to repent. And Jonah, like a lot of the prophets, was sent to people groups and kind of got a heads up on the front end, like nobody's gonna listen to you. It feels like being a pastor in 2022. If anybody disagrees with you about anything, it's like, oh, I'll just find another place. Like that's kind of how preaching is. That was preaching for Jonah. Jonah just preached over and over again. Nope, nobody listened to him. And so then God gave him this specific instruction of I want you to go to another level and I want you to go down to Nineveh in Syria, which is like, you know, um, kind of opposite side of modern day Spain. I want you to go down there and I want you to preach, preach to a whole nother group of people. They won't listen to you either, but I, I want you to call them to repent and I want you to let them know that if they don't change their mind about God and what they're doing, that there's gonna be judgment. And if you do this, God may do something, not just on your behalf, but on these people's behalf. Now, just real quick. If you grew up with kind of a traumatizing version of God that is way overplayed and sometimes taken out of context of, of legalistic, judgmental God that a lot of times misframes the Old Testament, I just want to just give you a little context here about the Assyrians. The Assyrians, before you feel bad for them or, you know, traumatized by God's judgment, the Assyrians had perfected the art of skinning people alive. So like if there's ever a people that like there probably should be some judgment if there's a God, it's probably those people. And so you don't need to feel sorry for the Assyrians. This is like they were big time off the rails and God's going, I wanna do something among these people. But his goal was not actually judgment. His goal is that these people would turn from this crazy evil behavior and that they would begin to follow God. And so he sent Jonah to them for that express purpose going, listen, if you preach, they, they may not initially listen to you. But I'm telling you, eventually God's gonna do something. And this was way outside of Jonah's comfortable, comfort zone, way outside of the confines of his city and everything that he knew. And so, so God comes to Jonah, he's like, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go down to the Ninevites who were infamous. Nobody wanted to go down there. And so Jonah respectfully is like, okay, God, yes, I hear you. Thank you, but no. Like this is a lateral career move at best. Probably it's a step down. There's no way this is gonna go well for me. I don't even like these people. And so here's where um, Jonah picks up. Jonah chapter one, verse one, the word of the Lord. 
came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, what I just said, because its wickedness has come up before me. And here's Jonah's response. Like he considers it and he's like, no, but Jonah ran away. And just real quick, because I think this is such important cultural context that a lot of times we don't get into the depth of it in this this book. And a lot of times we don't know the reasons why Jonah ran. One of the biggest reasons is because Jonah viewed everything through kind of a domestic political lens. And I'll describe this and see if maybe it sounds familiar at all. But Jonah viewed everything through a domestic political lens, which, which meant he believed he was part of this special nation and that this special nation and God were like one in the same. And so they began to have a political agenda about God's kingdom and what it looked like for them. And they couldn't separate God from their nation and from their politics. And what it ultimately led them to do was to demonize anybody that wasn't a part of their thing, anybody who didn't follow their God, anybody who threatened their way of life. So it became us in them. I know that sounds very foreign, but maybe you know some people. And so that's exactly where Jonah was at. And it was the reason that he ran because his political nationalistic lens elevated himself and their view of protecting their way of life and protecting their nation and God being one in the same that he would look at the Assyrians and Ninevites and go, they are not our people. There's no way I'm going down to them. And one of the things that you miss in the book a lot of times is that God had a very specific agenda to send Jonah down there to go, listen, in case you haven't been paying attention, my movement to the world is not nation specific. And it's not your agenda specific. And anytime you start to take any nation in the world at any point in history and any kind of platform and then Jesus or God and mirror them together as if they are inextricably linked, it always perverts the entire movement of God. And so God's like, listen, my movement is not synonymous, Jonah, with your little nation and your little agenda and what you think I'm going to do in bringing in a kingdom that's going to overthrow, you know, the powers of the world. My kingdom is multi-generational. It's multinational. I'm a God for all people. I want you to go down to the Ninevites in Assyria. There is no us in them. And the moment the church or Jesus followers or people who follow God begin to allow anything else to be the lens through which they view the rest of the world and other people other than Jesus, their faith has gone off the rails. And so Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish and he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And so what Jonah did is the moment that he got this invitation from God that he didn't want, he went as far away as he could southwest as far as the trade route would go. So he went from Joppa to Tarshish, which is modern day Spain. And so it's like, here's where Nineveh is in Assyria. I'm gonna go over here. And he did exactly what we do in in some moments where it's like, again, we're, we're feeling that tension or that pull. Is it worth it? Do I wanna say yes to God in this? I, I don't feel like God has done anything for me lately. And not only do we run, this is just kind of part of the human condition. We run in the complete opposite direction. And, and listen, sometimes it's physical. Some of you have moved to other cities and part of it was running. Some of you have you moved out of a career, not because you felt like that was actually what God wanted you to do in that season, because you maybe, you wanted to run. You wanted to run from accountability. You wanted to run as far away from you as you could to whatever that thing was, that tension was that you were struggling with. You ran out of a relationship. And here's the thing. There's three things I want to unpack real quick in this narrative. 
as we start this book for the next three weeks, there are three things I think we have in common every time we run. And the first one is this, we run to the strangest places. And it's one of the dynamics that just happens when we run because a lot of times it's so emotional and it's so reactionary that again, we run from without thinking about what we are running to. And it gets really, really weird where again, we kind of shake our fist at God to go, well, I'm just gonna get married anyway. I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think you're really doing anything to God, but you may end up in a bad marriage for the next 15 years. Well, I'm just gonna sign the partnership anyway. I'm just gonna walk out anyway. I'm just gonna sign the papers anyway. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna move toward that behavior anyway. We're just, you know, whatever it is where it's like, I, again, I just want my autonomy from God. I don't know if God can be trusted. I just feel like I've missed so much trying to follow him or say yes to him. I mean, whatever the dynamic is, or you start to walk through a really difficult dark season and it just doesn't feel like God is there anymore. And a lot of times the reactionary move is I'm just gonna run. I'm just gonna find something else. I'm just gonna try something else. And we run to some of the strangest places that in a lot of ways undermine and sabotage our own future. And then the thing is there's people around us and I say this all the time, but it's true. And they may not even believe anything that you believe about God. And they look at the decisions you're making and think, what are you thinking? What, what are you, they have no idea. Maybe you're running from God or running from that situation, but they're wondering what you are doing just from a practical wisdom or intellectual standpoint of like, this doesn't look good for you. I don't think this is gonna end well for you. We run to the strangest places. And, and here's the thing that I just want you to consider and I'll jump back in. A lot of times what we don't understand that's at stake is we run from the very thing that we're trying to hold on to. And I just can't amplify this is enough. It is the struggle in terms of relationship of following God and following Jesus. There is always this part in the human psyche where we wonder if we're missing something. We wonder if the sacrifice, because it is a sacrifice in certain season and moments, we wonder if it's really worth it. We wonder if God's really with us. We wonder if it's really gonna work out the way we want to or it's gonna be worth it in the end. And in those moments, and I just, I just wanna kind of warn you on this, is the thing that you want below the thing, it's not just your autonomy, it's not just the relationship, it's not just wondering like, what would have happened if I would have said yes to that? It's, it's none of those things. What you want, what the whole human heart and soul longs for is you, you want peace. You're looking for fulfillment. You're, you're looking for pleasure, which by the way, God created within the right context. You're looking for, for some sense of security. And in that moment where we just get in the place, we're so exasperated and ready to go. And sometimes our IQ lowers and we're just ready to run. We run from the very thing we're trying to hold on to, the very peace, fulfillment, pleasure, and safety that I believe is only found in Jesus. And then we convince ourselves, but I think I'll be different. I think this will be unique. I think I'll circumvent the outcome or the circumstances and everything will work out. And then a lot of times we have this moment, then the Lord, <laughs> then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm that arose and the ship threatened to break up and all of the sailors were afraid because we lose this context in, in that part of, of history. If you got on a boat going anywhere, that was unbelievably dangerous. 
And these specific seas were like, they, I, I don't have time to go into it, but when these kind, types of storms would come, it was incredibly, incredibly life-threatening. And so Jonah, not only does he run, he does one of the dumbest things ever, which is get on a boat and, and go down to Joppa. And if you don't have to, that's not something you would choose to do. This was not a cruise ship. Like it was incredibly dangerous. And so all of them are terrified and afraid because these storms threatened their life and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea, which meant this trip was gonna cost them to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down. He fell, it fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went in into him and said, how in the world can you sleep? Like, it, hey, Jonah, is our situation not obvious to you? Like our lives are being threatened. We just lost a lot of money. We had to dump our cargo over and you're sleeping down here. And there's a ton of parallels between this story and the story of Jesus, except Jonah isn't Jesus. And then he got, got, get up, the guy on the boat says to Jonah and call your God and maybe, maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Here's the second thing I think that is true of every runner is that we're last to see the connection Like Jonah is the last person to see the connection of what's going on. The last to see the connection between his decisions and all of the chaos that they're creating. Like here's the thing that I can almost promise you if you're you're in that place where you're just running and you're not maybe even sure what you're running to. Like, Like if you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a guardian of some kids that are depending on you, your kids will notice and see the chaos that, are created from your decisions before you do. In a lot of cases, your spouse, your girlfriend, the people that are close to your family, they'll notice the connection and the chaos that is being created from your decisions before you do. I'm just telling you, there's something about that mindset when we begin to run, a lot of times we are the last people to see the connections between what we're doing and what's happening and where we're headed. And so all these guys are up there on the ship basically having a prayer meeting and they come to Jonah and be like, hey, I I know that maybe you're tired, but if you'd come up here and join us for this prayer meeting, that'd be amazing because we feel like we're about to die and we feel like there's some connection here. And so we'd love for you to join us. So verse seven, the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Meaning we see a connection. I think somebody or something is trying to get our or your attention So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah, which by the way, it would be amazing if things still worked that way, where you're just having some kind of family dysfunction, like go get the dice. Like we're gonna see whose fault this is. (laughs) So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making this trouble for us. Like what'd you do? Where'd you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Who, by the way, I'm starting to draw a connection here, made the sea and the land, which I'm now thinking I should have stayed on in retrospect. And this, for good reason, terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running from God because he had already told them this. And again, but Jonah's still not really connecting the dots. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah's like, I only know of one thing. I'm thinking there is a connection and I think you need to toss me over with the cargo. And so they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. 
and the raging sea grew calm. And I just, there's one point in this that I just think is so fascinating. And I think it's the moment that, that Jonah's beginning to understand the character of God, even though he's gonna still go through some things in the coming days. And that's this, that at the end of the day, God's will can't be thwarted. And at the end of the day, God's plans can't be stopped. And when God is gonna do something and when God's gonna accomplish something and when God's gonna initiate something, when God's gonna reach a group of people, God's just gonna do it. And specifically when he calls us, we either have the ability to answer willingly or unwillingly. And it's always better to answer willingly. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, God's not gonna force his way on Jonah. But the point was, God is inviting Jonah into something specific, unique, and personal. It's not just about the Ninevites. It's what God wants to do in Jonah's life. And so God's gonna say to Jonah, I'm gonna do everything that I can to put you in the center of my will because my will and my destiny for your life is better than what you think your plans are for your life. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish. Just real quick, before you get lost on the fish part. But the Lord, I just wanna say this to you, specifically as followers of Jesus, you ever begin to be a follower of Jesus, believing in what he did on your behalf. If you're a follower of Jesus, I think this is so important. This is a dynamic intention you see throughout this book. Is that at this point in the journey, this is evidence to every single follower that no matter how far you run and what the reasons for your running were, God will never abandon you. And so from the inside, chapter two, verse one, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed. I bet he did. <laughs> I bet Michael Packer did too on Cape Cod because that's what you do. For in, inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And I think in this moment is when Jonah starts to recognize, I think a reality that all runners eventually discover. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Like you can run and God in his ability to allow you free will and expression and choice, God will allow you to run, but God waits for you. I just want you to hear me for a second because God's agenda above everything else is relationship with you. And one of the things that Jonah missed in all of this, it wasn't just about the activity. It wasn't about the career move. It wasn't about Jonah just going and being a missionary to the Ninevites in Assyria. It was God saying to Jonah, Jonah, I know you. And I have a plan for you. And I have a destiny for you. All of this is intermingled, which means as I invite you and as you receive my invitation, I want to do something powerful and specific in your life. It's not just about what I'm gonna do among the Ninevites. It's about what I wanna do in you. And through you receiving my call to follow me, even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to intersect with you in such a way that you're gonna know my love for you. 
And you're gonna know my mercy and you're gonna know my grace and you're gonna know that my ways and my plans are better even when they're difficult and even when they require sacrifice. And in this moment, Jonah couldn't get it yet that this is an invitation from his heavenly father to go, I want to know you and I want you to know me and I want to lead you. And as you take up my invitation to follow me into what I'm inviting you into, it is very personal. I want to know you. I want relationship with you. I want intimacy intimacy with you. And a lot of times God, in those moments where we begin to run, will prepare something along the way to get our attention. And sometimes the very thing that God will prepare for us to get our attention is us ultimately getting exactly what we want, only to realize it wasn't what we wanted. Because all throughout the scripture, we're referred to as sons and daughters, as kids. And as you place your faith and trust to begin to follow Jesus, we're called to call God our heavenly father. Not, I know that's triggering for some of you, maybe not your jacked up father, some really bad father figures that you've encountered. I'm talking about if you can wrap your mind around a perfect heavenly father that loves his kids. Solomon writes it this way that my son my daughter don't despise the Lord's discipline and don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves just like a good father would do to his kids because he's after the hearts of his kids. And as a father, the son, he delights in. Like this is what good moms do. This is what good dads do. This is what good fathers do who want their best for their kids. And in case you move to like punitive, legalistic, that's the God I grew up with that I'm running from. Let let me just make sure that I clarify this for you because it's all throughout the scripture. God's whole goal was to run Jonah down, but it was not to run Jonah down to pay Jonah back. It was to run Jonah down to win Jonah back, to take Jonah back. Listen, wherever you are right now, no matter how far you've run or whatever the circumstances are and and whatever you wish you could undo, if there's a point where you go, I don't know if, if I should have run or I'm regretting that I ran or there's some consideration that I should start to run back, here's what you need to know. God is not looking to pay you back. And this is so important because a lot of us who have had the gospel mangled and perverted are still dealing with this idea of relationship with God based on fear. But as you begin to follow Jesus and place your faith and trust in Jesus, fear should never characterize your relationship with God again for this reason. Punishment was handled by Jesus at the cross. And now as you place your faith and trust, believing that he lived and that he died and that he walked out of a grave alive, now as you place your faith and your trust in him, it is a declaration that God has handled all of the punishment and wrath for your sin that you deserved. And now you get relationship with God based on his love, his grace, his willingness to sacrifice for you. And the cross echoes. It is the definitive example for all of history that you have a heavenly father that loves you who sent his son Jesus and paid the ultimate price 
via excruciating death so that you should know in every circumstance, every situation, all throughout history, that God is for you because he died for you. You don't ever have to wonder again. And if you ever worry about punishment, if you ever worry about quid pro quo, is God trying to get me back? This is the gospel. This is the good news. You were already paid back through Jesus and he's never gonna pay you back again, which is why the author of Hebrews says, it is finished. God put his feet up at the right hand of God so we'd never have to go back to that again. We'd never have to offer another sacrifice again. Jesus is sacrifice enough. There is no other sacrifice that compares. You can go free. You do not have to be shackled to fear. And it's why Jesus' number one command throughout the gospels was this, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And as Jesus is inviting you back or maybe inviting you into relationship for the first time, this is the thing that should overwhelm our hearts with peace. All of that has already been taken care of. Jesus is inviting us not to pay us back for anything. Jesus did all of that. Jesus is here to win us back. Jesus is here to get us back, to take us back. The thing that we should fear is not getting paid back. The thing that we should fear is running from the very source of the peace and the fulfillment and the pleasure and the safety that we're after in the first place because it's only found in one person and his name is Jesus. I gotta end, but I just wanna end with this. When my daughter was a little bit younger, um, she she was pretty young. I don't know the age and and we didn't have a big space in our backyard, but we had a couple toys and we had like this um, playhouse thing. And I remember one day where I was, Nicole was at the house, but I was watching Brooke. And she, I don't know, she may have been our only kid at the time. I can't remember. So I was watching her. And then there was this moment where it's like the sliding glass door was open. It was going in and out. She was playing right there. And, and then there was these brief moments where I couldn't find her. And... So it's like, no big deal. She's right here. And then I'm looking at the usual places she's at and she's not there. And then it's like, then I start to like, Brooke, where are you at? You know, and then it, it escalates and then it's like a little panic in the voice and it gets louder. And then it's like, Brooke, like, where are you at? And like specifically, hey, Brooke, daddy's looking for you. Brooke, daddy's looking for you. Brooke, daddy's looking for you. And then it got like a mix of I'm concerned, but now I'm also angry. Like, Brooke, daddy's looking for you. And like, it was high decibel level and there was some anger and concern and panic. And then there's that thing that you go through in your mind as a spouse of like, when do I let my spouse know um, that our kid is missing? I feel like it's still too early. And I want to make sure I've done everything I can before I involve her in this. Cause that's a whole nother thing. We're going to, we're going to go down. And so I just, I started all almost yelling like, Brooke, daddy's looking for you, Brooke, daddy's looking for you. And then out of nowhere behind like this little tree, I just hear, I'm not looking for you. <laughs> and then I, she was only three, but I grounded her for two weeks after that. <laughs> Again, I don't want to take too big a leap. I think it's relevant for some of you. I don't know if this will resonate. I think in some ways your dad's looking for you. Like, I think you know you've run. And I think there's been some moments where you, it, in some ways, maybe you were justified because what you were running from was pretty significant, but there was no thought of what you were running to. And your dad's looking for you. 
And he's not looking to pay you back. He's looking to win you back. And the reason is because 750 years after this, he went to the lengths to send Jesus to planet earth with his face set toward Jerusalem to give up his life for the sake of us because he will do anything to win back relationship with us. And so if you're sitting here and I'm gonna give you a couple opportunities throughout the series to go like, honestly, there's a part of this where that's me. And it was a decision that became a train wreck it was this desire to, I'm gonna do what I want or I think I know what's best and it became an addiction or it's a, I'm gonna operate on my agenda and some autonomy for a while and now there is a restlessness in your soul that you cannot quiet. And for some of us, I just believe this, listening online, watching, you're in the house. I think that you are here because you can run, but you cannot outrun God. And the reason that you're listening to me and the reason that we're talking about this topic that starts to bring something up to the kind of edge of your throat is because God is looking for you. And this might be the start of a moment, I don't know, where it's a then the Lord, then the Lord, because his desire is to win you back. His desire is relationship. His desire is to accomplish his will and his destiny for your life. And so maybe this is the start of kind of a moment to go, God, I just, I surrender to you or I surrender this to you. And I don't know how I'm gonna get back, but I'm trusting you. And I'm gonna take a step to move in your direction. So here's what I wanna do as we close. Um, And I know this is different. I know this may be weird, but I wanna give us like 30 seconds of just space and quiet because there's something, especially physically in the room, but I, I don't wanna minimize what God's doing wherever you're at, where God just does something. I can't explain it, but it's tangible, it's real, and it's definitive. And so I just wanna give you that space. So for 30 seconds, if you would, just out of respect for what God's doing in people's heart, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes, I just, I don't know what it is, but God's good at just revealing that to the human heart. I just wanna give you some space of maybe what right now that looks like. And for some of you, this is the then the Lord moment, that moment of, of God, I I just have to surrender this. So wherever you're at right now, I just wanna give you 30 seconds to allow God to speak what he needs to speak over your life. God, I pray in this moment you would amplify what your desire is for each of our hearts and our life and don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something and there is power in your word. The author of Hebrews says it's living, it's breathing, it's active. And so I'm not really praying for you to do something. I'm just praying that that we would listen because in hearts all over this room and thousands of people who watch and listen, you're doing something significant right now in this moment because that's what you do and that's what your spirit does. And so I just pray that you would amplify, that you would give clarity. And then for some of us, you would 
give us just enough trust to bow our knee to you and to surrender to you, to give this area to you, that no matter how bad the embarrassment is, is to begin to take a step back. And I pray for some, this may be the then the Lord moment. For others, this may be the start of what you're gonna do over these next few weeks. But I pray, God, that you would do what you wanna do in our hearts. And that more than anything else, because for some of us, it's really difficult to believe. I pray that they would understand the good news of what Jesus is offering in this moment. And it's the same thing he offered to the prodigal that came home. That your desire is relationship with us. Your desire is to win us back above all else. And so I pray that no matter how far down the road we've run, that we would see an accurate picture of who is waiting for us. And that is a loving heavenly father with arms wide open. And so we pray this, believing that you're gonna do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.